All right, well, this morning we actually get into the book of Luke. I introduced this series <clears throat> from John's Gospel last week. This morning we'll actually begin to look at the Word as it's portrayed for us in Luke, as Luke shows us the Word powerfully active in uh, the lives of many people and in the, the ministry of Jesus Christ himself. <clears throat> I read verses 5 to 25 for our New Testament reading. That's the first part of the story. We end with Zechariah mute, unable to speak, Elizabeth having conceived and rejoicing in uh, this blessed gift by keeping herself hidden for a period of time. We pick up the story again after an interlude in, in the chapter. Pick it up again at verse 57, and I will read that until the end of the chapter in verse 80. This also is the very word of the living God. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but the mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them, laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit, And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Again, so ends the reading of God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. May he write it upon our hearts. May it bear fruit, abundant fruit, in our lives. As we come before the word this morning, let me lead us again once again briefly in prayer. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we do... Now ask your blessing upon your word as it goes out this morning. 
that you would fulfill the promise that you have made, that it goes out and does not return to you void, empty, but rather that it goes out and accomplishes everything that you purpose for it <clears throat> and is successful in the, in the things for which you send it. May that be true here this morning. For us, we ask that you would fill us with your Spirit. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear, <clears throat> so that we may understand and apply the things that we hear and see in your word this morning, so making it a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, <clears throat> that we may go from here and walk according to your ways. All of this, Father, we ask in the precious name of Christ our Savior. Amen. <coughs> Boy, my mouth went dry all of a sudden. Excuse me. All right, well, last week, in our introduction from John 1, we have, as I said, this incredibly eloquent, beautiful description of the Word, the Logos. And we learned three things about the Word from that. We learned that the Word is powerful and that it comes with power. The Word created all things. Nothing, not one thing exists without the Word. The Word, in fact, was made flesh in power as a virgin conceived and bore a son. We'll see this idea as we continue to move through Luke's Gospel. Now, if you're a Christian, you've experienced this power in your own life. That power was at work in every single person who repented and believed in Christ as Savior. For some, it was a subtle working, a long working, perhaps, if you were privileged to be raised in a Christian family. <clears throat> the Spirit slowly working over time, the Word being put to effect. <clears throat> Excuse me. But for some it was a radical, life-changing event. A dramatic turn from one way of life to another. And you know, you see, you experience, you remember that power. And that's what it was. Every Christian has that experience and continues to experience the power at work in us as we change from who we were to who we are and to who we will be. As God molds us and shapes us into the people that He's called us to be, working holiness and righteousness in us. We've all experienced this in one way or another who are believers in Christ. We also saw that the Word is revealing and it comes to reveal, to shed light into darkness, to drive the darkness away. <clears throat> and those who hear the word experience this reality as a new and deeper understanding of God and of themselves and of the world around them comes to them. The word opens our eyes to truth. It reveals the sinfulness of our sin. It tells us about the holiness of God and our desperate need for salvation. It reveals right and wrong. The Word shows us how to live and many other things. And everyone who hears the Word experiences the, the revelatory power of the Word. For the believer, the knowledge and the understanding, the wisdom that comes with it, is received with joy and with gratitude. Even when that Word is hard to hear, and it sometimes is very hard to hear, because we know that it's good for us. And God, our Father who gave it to us, loves us and will use it for our good. <clears throat> but for the unbeliever, 
when the word comes, and I've spoken to people who remember their pre-Christian life, the word, they hated the word. They hated what the word revealed to them. They rejected it. They couldn't stand it. <clears throat> it was uncomfortable, difficult to hear, difficult to accept. And that brings us to the third thing we talked about the word. And, and the reason this is so is because the word is compelling. It compels us to react to it, to either accept it or reject it. You can't, therefore, read the Word like another book. You can't just plop it in your lap, curl up in bed, and have a good read. You can't just study it like a textbook, like some work on philosophy or ethics or morals or full of good stories or history. Every time we pick up the Word to read it, it is compelling It speaks truth to us, and either you agree with that truth, follow it, do what it teaches and requires of you, or you reject it and rebel against it. Refuse to obey it, refuse to believe it. These three things about the Word are what we're going to see in Luke portrayed in a very different way. And part of what makes Luke's gospel so rich and rewarding is how he does this. We know about Luke as the the accurate author of the gospels and acts. The man who gets his facts right. The doctor. The good doctor who is giving a good report to his friend Theophilus. Look at verses 1-4 to of chapter 1, for example. But he weaves in and out of these stories and facts an incredible picture of the word at work. And that's what I want to get to in this series. We'll see the Word with power. We'll see the Word revealing things. We'll see the Word compelling a response. Of course, the Word also comes as a person, as Jesus Christ Himself, the Son of God. We'll see these ideas quite powerfully as we get into Luke's presentation of Jesus' public ministry. But it's there even before that. It's there even before Jesus is born and while Jesus is still young. Because the word comes to people like Zechariah and to Mary. The word comes to lowly shepherds out in the field. The word comes to Simeon, to Anna, and to others. And when the word comes to them, they respond. (laughs) And those stories provide lessons for us today. This morning I want to consider Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, to whom the word came in a very unique way. Now there's a lot of verses here. There's a lot of sermons that could be preached on the things in this story. But I want to focus on, as I will throughout this series, this idea of the word coming and how it comes and how people respond. I'll recap the story real quick. And then we'll talk about the powerful word that comes to Zechariah, the revealing word that comes to Zechariah, and the compelling word that comes to Zechariah, and some lessons, I hope, along the way for us. Well, the story is really quite easy and familiar to those of us who have been walking with the Lord for a while. Zechariah is a priest. He's part of the priestly family. But he and his wife are advanced in years. They're old, and they don't have a child. And here Zechariah is called to take his regular turn with his company 
in the service of the temple. And this time he's chosen by Lot to go into the temple, into the holy place, not the most holy place, that's for the high priest, <clears throat> but to go into the holy place and burn incense, incense at the, the altar of the Lord. Quite a privilege. And as he's doing this, all the people are gathered around the temple, watching and praying, waiting. And while he's there, an angel visits him, tells him, your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth is going to bear a son, and his name is going to be John. And this is what John is going to do. He's going to be a great servant of the Lord. And Zechariah has this incredible response. How will I know this is true? How will I know this? I'm old. My wife has advanced in years. The angel says, I am Gabriel. Zechariah probably should have known this. There's kind of an echo of Daniel's encounter with Gabriel in this story. Your prayer has been heard. I've been sent because of this. <coughs> but Gabriel says, <coughs> in response to Zechariah's question, you're going to be silent. You're going to be unable to speak until this word is fulfilled. And later Elizabeth does conceive. Her response, look what the Lord has done for me. She's happy. Her prayer has been heard. The reproach before the people has been taken away. And you may have heard or be familiar with this idea that a barren woman in, in Jewish society, for many this was thought of as, as a, a punishment from God. The reason you're sick, the reason you're barren, the reason you can't have children, the reason this bad thing happened to you is because you sinned. We've seen this before in other things that we've looked at. It's a false idea, but that's the kind of attitude people have toward her. You've taken away my reproach, she says. <clears throat> and then skip down to 57 and following. The son is born. They go in to circumcise him and give him a name. And, you know, like they do so often, they, they want to call the, the son Zechariah after his father. First, Elizabeth says no. His name is John. There's confusion. Nobody's called John in your family. <clears throat> Let's ask the dad. And so Zechariah writes, his name is John. And immediately he's able to speak again. And the people wonder and, and are amazed at what they see. It spreads through the hill country of Judea. <clears throat> and then Zechariah breaks into this <clears throat> wonderful prophetic song from verse 68 to the end of the chapter. What an amazing story. Familiar to us, as I said. But again, what I want to do this morning and God willing through this series is look at, look at the Word and how it comes. And the first thing is that it does indeed come with power. It does what it says it will do. Elizabeth conceives and she bears a son. That's powerful. They're old. God did a powerful work in them. But second, it comes with a powerful work of discipline as well. Gabriel stands in the presence of God himself, and he was sent to speak to Zechariah. And so the word comes, you will not be able to speak until all of this happens, according to the word that was given to you. 
Now that's powerful as well. A man who's been speaking his whole life suddenly is mute and can't make a sound, at least not an intelligible sound. That's incredible. Think if that happened to one of us. We'd be astounded. But third, the word works through Zechariah to speak powerfully and prophetically about the coming ministry of John and the one for whom John is going to prepare the way. There's a wonderful sermon in Zechariah's song about the promises of God being fulfilled, his covenant promises in the Son that's coming, and of John being the prophet of the Most High to prepare the way. What an incredible song. That's a powerful song, powerful truth, powerful recognition of the promises of God. So the word comes with quite a bit of power to Zechariah and some lessons that we can draw from these things. Now, I don't know about you. I've never had an angel come and stand beside me and tell me things. That would be astounding. Giving me promises from God. But what do we have? We've got the Word. The entire Word. God's Word. It's readily available to us like it hasn't been throughout history. Various translations, all these helps, technical helps to help us read it and understand it. We have the Word like nobody in history before us. We have access to all of that Word, and we have access to all the promises of God that are contained in it. And these promises are wonderful. Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed for a son. The great desire of their hearts. What does a son mean for these people in this time? Well, it's, this is the way that the, the family name was passed on. If a man dies without a son, his brother, his close relative, is supposed to come and have a son for him through his wife. This is important, to have a son to keep the family name, the clan, going. It's, it's almost as if there, there's some kind of permanence or, or eternality attached to this. Let's keep ourselves going. Let's keep ourselves remembered. And we have the same desire today. We just express it differently. Family names don't mean what they used to. But listen to people talk. Listen to what people say about their lives. There's a common theme. I want to leave a mark. I want to leave the world a better place than when I found it. I want to do something that people will remember me by. <clears throat> I want to be, leave a legacy. No matter how small. That's the same basic idea. I want to be remembered. I want to have some lasting influence or presence in the world. Some quasi-eternal existence. But if we think about it, it's pretty lame. The preacher in Ecclesiastes says it's lame. Virtually all of us are going to be quickly forgotten. How many people do you remember from 100 years ago? How many people can you name from 100 years ago? Precious few. 
The preacher in Ecclesiastes notes this. And he says it's vanity. It's a chasing after the wind. It makes life seem pointless and futile. Why try? Why bother? Nobody's going to remember me anyway. Except, (laughs) there's one who does remember us. God has promised the real thing. Eternal life. True permanence. True long-lasting permanence to all who repent and believe in Christ Jesus. So we find meaning not in what we do and what we leave behind. We find meaning in Christ, in God and His work for us, and being part of that great eternal people of God, and being part of the kingdom of Christ, the church that spreads through the whole earth, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. You're going to die. I'm going to die. People are going to forget you within a couple generations, even in your own family. But God knows you. God does not forget you. Your name, is, your name is written in His book. Who do you want to be remembered by? A bunch of lousy mortals? Or the God of the universe? You're His child. He chose you. And Jesus is coming again to collect all who are His. That's a promise. That's a promise. Raising the dead to life, mortal men and women living and not dying, that is the power of the word. And it is true and it is certain. Well, the word also reveals things to Zechariah. Of course, it gave him a promise. And it revealed a consequence when (coughs) Zechariah doubted that promise. But I think the word reveals... It reveals facts, it reveals truths, and those things are very important and we need to learn them and understand them. But what the Word does that's harder than that is it reveals us. It reveals us to ourselves. And what it reveals in Zechariah, I think, is a tremendous lack of trust or a weakness or a a littleness, a smallness of his faith. Look again at Zechariah's response in verse 18. How shall I know this? I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. There's a sense in the way the question is put, how is this possible? How can I be confident that this word is true? I don't understand how this can be. I'm old. My wife is old. Now note who's saying this. A priest. He's not a poor peasant off somewhere in the hinterlands of of Israel with little or or no access to God's word or teaching upon it. He's been trained. He knows the Torah. He knows the Psalms. He knows the scriptures. He knows the history of Israel. He's read the stories about Sarah. He's read the stories about Hannah that we heard from the Old Testament reading. Or Ruth who spent 10 years in Moab and didn't conceive. And now an angel, an an angel is standing next to him, giving him a promise from God, and he doubts. I'm not sure, how is God going to do this? I'm old. How is God going to do this? He's God. (laughs) 
And so what's really revealed about Zechariah is his lack of faith. Where does it come from? We don't know for sure, but I think we have a similar experience from time to time. Because we read God's Word, we hear it preached, we hear it taught, and oftentimes we have a similar reaction to Zechariah. Despite his biblical training, you see, he knows how children are conceived. He knows by whom they're conceived. Young parents, old people don't do this. Zechariah knows, see, he's, he's got it in his head, he's got it in his life experience. I know how this works. How is this possible? He let his personal ideas, his personal preconceptions blind him to the incredible word of God that came to him and made a promise. Now, he hasn't stopped praying for a son because Gabriel says your prayers have been heard. But maybe in this respect, and maybe in that respect, he does remember his history. Hannah did not stop praying. But if that's so, then his expectation for an answer must have diminished greatly. Yeah, I'm going to keep praying for a son. That's what godly people do. I want my wife to have a son. But it seems like he's gotten to the point where, well, it's just not going to happen. We're too old. It's past time. Our day is past. There's an old Keith Green song. My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. Simple lyrics, but kind of haunting and too often true for us. Sometimes we think we know better. God can't do that. Or God doesn't do that. Those days are gone. Those days are past. I don't believe in spiritual gifts for today. I think that's that time is, that was the apostolic age. That era has passed. Not normal for the church today. But, but ask, ask this question. Can God heal today? Of course he can. And we've prayed for people. And we've seen them healed. We've seen people healed who shouldn't have been healed. Does God provide food and money and clothes? Does he provide for his people in ways that go beyond just a mere coincidence or or even a providential working of God? In other words, in a way that just can't be explained in any other way than God was working and doing it in a powerful, incredible, even miraculous way? Well, yes, of course he does. I know it because I've experienced it. I've seen it. God can do wondrous things in this mechanical, logical, scientific age we live in. And we should remember these things and celebrate them when they happen. There's a lesson we can learn here from our charismatic brethren, as as much as I disagree with their theology and practice. They celebrate these things. They remember them. I grew up in a Pentecostal family. Every time we got together, it was another story. Do you remember when so-and-so this happened? And do you remember when... Yeah, because they they praise God for these things. They're happy about them. They remember them. They rejoice in them. 
they apply the lesson wrongly. We know them, I know them, you know them. I can look around the room and I know that you have experienced the power of God in your life in incredible ways. But we're Presbyterians. We don't talk about that kind of stuff. Rubbish. I wouldn't be standing here today if there hadn't been a miracle in my mom's life. Tell those stories. Pass them on. Celebrate these things. We can get to a point where we pray. That's really not going to happen. Yeah, I'll pray for it because I'm supposed to, but see, that's, I think, where Zechariah was. It's too easy for us to get there as well. Don't let your heart go hard. Don't let your prayers go cold as you wait for God to work. It might take a long time. And he may answer in ways that you don't expect. But don't let your heart go hard. The word is also compelling, and it was compelling for Zechariah. Compelled a response, and he responded the wrong way. The expected response, the proper response, would have been with faith and joy and gratitude. You've answered my prayer. Look at how Hannah responded. Look at how Elizabeth responded in her short little response that's noted in the text. Next week, God willing, we'll see how Mary responds. Zechariah did not respond well. I said before, the word comes and compels a response, and I kind of divided it into believers and non-believers. Believers accept it, rejoice, are glad, obey, follow. Unbelievers reject it, hate it, rebel against it. But there's a way in which believers can reject the word as well, to our great sorrow. For Zechariah, there was discipline. He was disciplined. He was not able to speak until the word was fulfilled. And when the word was fulfilled, and when he acknowledged that the word was fulfilled, he was able to speak. And that's a bit of irony, too. The word came, and it shut him up. And this can be our situation as well. There are times when, when the word comes to us and we don't, we don't respond rightly to it. We don't believe it or accept it or submit to it as we should. We all have this tendency, I do and you do as well, to kind of discard or, or ignore or reinterpret the parts of the Bible that we don't like. We read in our, you know, our uh, reading, responsive reading this morning about the Sabbath. Talk about controversial. There used to be a time in our circles when, and I mean in broader Protestant evangelical circles, when we debated how to keep the Sabbath. Do you do this? Do you do that? But everybody tried to keep it. Most of the evangelical church today, and even in our circles, keep the Sabbath? As soon as I'm out of church, I'm going shopping. Or I'm going to go do this or go do that. Most Christians today don't even know what the day is. Don't even think about it. The Word tells us to give generously, but most of us give when it's convenient, if at all. The Word tells us to love our neighbor. Who's our neighbor? Well, that person that God put in your life who has a need that you can meet. Well, I'll do it if I can, if it's not too inconvenient. Help the poor, clothe the poor, feed the poor, 
Give them a place to live so they're not homeless anymore. Too often we ignore people in need. Or even worse, we despise them. Those lazy bums taking up space on the sidewalk. Smelly, disgusting, dirty, in the way. Do we think at all to help them? You know, have them come clean your house and then give them a meal. I don't know. What can we do instead of what we do do? The Bible tells us to love our enemies. Nah, I want revenge. I want them punished. I want them brought low. Render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. Pay our taxes. I'm going to pay as little as I can get away with paying. Keep myself pure sexually. What's the prevailing attitude today? I do what I want with whom I want, when I want, how I want. Clean speech, pure behavior, following the laws of God. Far too often, we, we just blithely ignore God's word to us or reshape it to fit our own desires and needs. Living the way that we want instead of the way that he's taught us to, instructed us to, or commanded us to. we look at the story of Zechariah and go, how can he possibly have responded the way he did? But don't we do the same thing? Day after day after day? We know what God's Word teaches us to do. We want to do our own thing. And like with Zechariah, there are consequences for us. Our good, loving Father in Heaven disciplines His children. We're taught that in the Word word as well. And that's a question I think we can ask ourselves from time to time. We have to be careful. But sometimes when life is not going the way we'd like it to, maybe there's a part of that that's discipline or instruction or training from the Lord to put us back on the right path. A time to examine our lives and reconsider and learn and seek to apply God's Word in a, in a more faithful manner. I don't want to get into the habit of blaming ourselves for our, our, our sins. That's wrong. But God disciplines us. Discipline begins with the house of, of God. Something to consider and think about. But that's not the end of the story because the end of the story illustrates the right response. And this is what discipline is meant to lead to. It's not meant to beat us down and make us miserable. Discipline and correction are meant to bring us to the people that we should be, and that's people of faith. I think as soon as Zechariah couldn't speak, his attitude changed. But he had to wait nine months for the word to be fulfilled. And he responded rightly when he was asked, What's the name of your son? His name is John. The word compels us to respond. And if you're a believer, it may take a while. We may go on some weird, wacky, unhappy, dark paths. But the word will compel you to come back to God, to come back to Christ to renew and restore and strengthen your faith in Him and your walk with Him. And that can either be now or it can be later. 
now is better. (laughs) The good news for us is that God is patient with us, hard-hearted and cold, praying people. Because he's done something for us, then we know this, in Jesus that surpasses anything that he's done in the past. Poured out his Holy Spirit in us. Working in us to become the people he's called us to be. So we can't remain stagnant without growth. We do grow. We will grow. We have grown. If you've walked with God for any length of time, you know that you're not the person that you used to be. We may reject his word for a time. We may try to run away from it for a time. But that compelling word always works to bring out the right response in us. And that's an encouragement. Let that be an encouragement for all of us. What do I struggle with? God is working in you. We trust as parents that God is working in our children. We trust as a church that God is working in all of us together. This powerful, revealing, compelling word comes to us and has a powerful impact in us and in our lives. We struggle with lack of faith. We struggle with cold hearts. We struggle with weariness. We struggle with sin. We struggle, but God is faithful because ultimately the work is His. See, it didn't matter in the end whether or not Zechariah believed. Gabriel said, this word will be accomplished. And it was. Elizabeth conceived. A son was born a prophet of the Most High, to prepare the way and to prepare a people for him. God had work to do and he was going to do it. And he did it. See, God is always faithful to his purpose and to his promises. We know this and we can be confident in that. The work of the Son is evidence enough by itself of that truth. God who does for us what he, did, what he did for us in his Son will do anything for us. Our faith may be weak, and we should pray. Increase our faith. Increase my faith. But do remember this. We may be faithless, but he is always faithful. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your faithfulness, your goodness to us. Indeed, we like sheep go astray. We turn to our own ways, follow after the desires of our own hearts. <coughs> do be that faithful shepherd and bring us back to ourselves. Discipline us, correct us, <coughs> lead us into the right paths, deepen and increase our faith, teach us to serve you. Increase our gratitude and our thanksgiving. Always remind us that you have loved us with a great love and been rich in mercy toward us in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. All these things we pray in his name. Amen.